If you're looking for a trusted source of natural supplements, look no further than NutritionW.com. Since 1979, Nutrition World has been a staple in the Chattanooga community with dedicated research specialists that stay ahead of the trends to make sure you have the most reliable products available at the most competitive prices. All of their supplements are vetted for quality, effectivity, and potency and shipped using the utmost care with cold packs included in each and every order. You can shop online now at NutritionW.com and choose from thousands of your favorite supplements, sports nutrition, pet, and specialty food products today. Nutrition World, partners on your wellness journey. Hello everyone, you're listening to the Holistic Navigator Podcast, where we believe in the body's ability to heal itself. My name is Brian Strickland. I'm the producer of the show. And today we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Scott Resnick. Dr. Resnick is a functional medicine practitioner and is passionate about bringing the science of functional medicine into the mainstream. He believes that every person is uniquely suited to know him or herself and that with a bit of teaching, coaching, and support, each individual has the ability to make lasting changes that will improve their quality of life. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Resnick about women's health and hormonal balance issues. So without further delay, let me hand it over to your host, Ed Jones. Thank you so much, Brian. And again, I'm excited for another weekly podcast from the Holistic Navigator. You know, my goal is to create an encyclopedia for individuals where they can actually access uh, a, a whole different kind of school of information. And as you know, 75% of my podcast is simply me ranting and hopefully educating. But 25%, when I find special individuals who I have trust in and have history with that I truly know is uh, needs to express their knowledge, I beg them to come in. And today, I really am proud to have a gentleman, a physician, Dr. Scott Resnick on the Holistic Navigator. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. It is so good to be here. And I am uh, welcome the opportunity to uh, maybe um, author one of the chapters of your encyclopedia. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, I'm honored to have you on. And, you know, the first few minutes, I always kind of give personal history. Uh, I have no script. I work from whatever rolls in my brain at the moment. Uh, I've been doing this for 41 years now, involved heavily in the aspect of natural healing and health. Now, you know, we're going to deal with women, hormones, menstrual issues, and many things dealing with options and solutions. And also some of the information needs to be known about the conventional approach to uh, addressing these these problems, which are epidemic. Uh, there's probably the only issue that I get asked more questions about other than from females, other than weight loss and energy is this topic of hormones, menstrual issues, uh, you know, foggy thinking associated with it, lack of libido. And, you know, I don't think I mentioned this to you, Dr. Resting, before, but it was probably about 1989. And I was, uh, of course, professionally involved with exactly what I am now. And there was a gentleman named Dr. John Lee, and he wrote a book named What Your Doctor may not tell you about menopause. With Dr. Zava, I might mention. Yes. And what it was, was I was so excited when that book came out that I contacted him. And we're in a town that is definitely behind times on free thinking on health. 
And we rented the convention center in 1989, and we had 300 people, mainly all women, who came to listen to Dr. John Lee speak on this topic. And, and you know, today it's still not super easy to bridge the gap. But back then, we were the enemy. And people thought of us as true clowns and charlatans, including Dr. John Lee. And, and it was wonderful. People paid $15 to come. And it truly, I believe, was the opening for this conversation. Uh, sadly to say, the next lecture he gave, he dropped dead on stage. And that was, that was uh, you know, the sad thing for all of us. But, but let me get off my rabbit trails here. And I want you, Dr. Restick, uh, give a little history of, you know, your past, what you did in the medical field, and uh, so people know who they're listening to. Well, thanks for the introduction, and I'll try to keep this brief so we can uh, really get into the into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about. But uh, by formal training, I'm an OBGYN. I did two years of general surger, surgical training at the University of Colorado, followed by four years of OBGYN training, and practiced as a generalist OBGYN for maybe uh, seven to ten years. And at that point, I found that I was really becoming more interested in, in approaching health in what would I would what I would call would be a functional approach to health, and and over the last maybe ten to twenty years, we've um, developed a new lexicon, a new uh, I guess way of describing this style of, of healthcare, which is called functional medicine. So, uh, for the last uh, ten years, I've been practicing effectively. A functional medicine, and I believe that's the use of uh, herbs, nutrients, um, supplements, diet, mind-body practices to actually get to the root of what can be contributing to symptoms in the human body. I love that, and I know that. It, you know, and and Brian sitting here listening, this is exactly my language. I speak probably every single podcast. I use the word functional medicine or functional healing because that is where. The future of health and healing has to go unless you want to live in the world of treating symptoms and putting a big piece of tape on the red light on the dashboard, which I do not. I mean, we are, you know, Richard Nixon announced the war on cancer in 1970. There was one in 32 people had cancer. Today is one in three. And that's it being optimistic. So we're not winning the war on any disease, especially the chronic ones. So I uh, so let's get to the real meat of this, which is when my amount of people I talk to six days a week, uh, and I'm not treating their medical conditions. I am helping educate people uh, on every degree I can. But the, the conversation that goes about is women who come in, generally they're over 40. Sometimes they can be less, but they are suffering quality-wise in their life because they understand that their hormones are changing or they are having female issues, a lot of it based in those hormones that are changing. Everything from you know, discomfort to foggy thinking to depression to lack of libido, weight gain. Those, I guess, would be my fit five bullet points. And I would like if you could, uh, Dr. Resnick, uh, on this episode, let's explain from your perspective exactly what is going on from a female's uh, body. If you compare an 18 year old to a 40 year old and what is going uh, awry and, and then we'll get in se session two more of the options, but we need to have some kind of really good explanation because the thing about educating people, they need to have uh, this education to have the discussion with their healthcare practitioner because most women ha will have to access someone to help them on this path and they need to know the language to speak. They cannot go in there completely uh, a novice or they will 
have to, they, then they'll become a slave because they don't know the ability to converse. So let's, if you can summarize exactly the difference between an 18 year old and a 40 year old and maybe plug into, okay, why is this is why it's kind of happening. Well, I think that uh, this is a good place to start uh, because we began this discussion talking about functional medicine, which really serves to uh, break components of the body down into uh, elemental um, jobs. Uh, So I would start this discussion by asking you, Ed, what is the what is the purpose of a menstrual cycle? I mean, if this is something which is contributing to problems across a woman's reproductive age, the first question I would ask is, what is this for? And I know this might sound really simplified. But in fact, I think it's important to take a more simple approach to really understand more of the complexities. So I would answer that question by saying that really the main purpose of a menstrual cycle is reproduction. And I know that sounds pretty, pretty basic. But if you go farther back through our history and the time we've been on the planet, let's assume there was a time when we didn't have copious food and clean water and a, a good national security system to keep us safe. The human uh, animal has been sub- subjected to uh, variations in, in degrees of stressors and pressure on the body to be able to to work well. So it would make sense that there would be the human body would be able to modify its ability to reproduce or not reproduce. So really, the very main purpose of the menstrual cycle is reproduction. And what happens is starting at the age of puberty. And this is connected between the pituitary and hypothalamus, which are in the brain, the thyroid, the adrenal glands, and finally, the ovaries all begin to work in concert. And the age of, I think the average age of uh, puberty for a young girl in this country is somewhere between maybe 10 and 12. It's interesting that there is some data to, to suggest that over the last maybe 30 to 50 years, that that age has becoming uh, younger. And uh, that might be an interesting discussion that we could have a little later on. Is this due to possibly some of these environmental factors? Because really, I started talking at this point to to review the fact that our ability to reproduce and our ability to have normal menstrual cycles is unquestionably a part of our environment. So what happens is, I would say age 10 to 12, a young girl begins getting her cycles. And it's not uncommon for a newly pubescent young woman to have some irregularity to her, to her cycles. I mean, I think that's something that we see on a pretty regular basis. Um, basically, a menstrual cycle is a alteration, uh, it's a cycling of two primary hormones. And those primary hormones are estrogen, otherwise known as estradiol, and progesterone. Progesterone is named progesterone because it is the progestational hormone. It's really the, the hormone that helps to maintain the lining of the uterus if a woman is to get pregnant. So in the early years, we begin to start to see some cycling. And what this does is it creates different peaks of estrogen over the course of the month. Estrogen effectively has two peaks. So what I would like the the listeners to think about is over the course of an average menstrual cycle, which is 28 days, uh, give give or take a couple, three days on either end, that estrogen is going to have two peaks over the course of the month. So if you can close your, close your eyes for a moment and listen to the radio and just imagine a, a, 28, a month and two peaks of estrogen, one in the first half of the month and one in the second half of the month. Now, if we were going to look at the relationship of progesterone, which is the hormone which is caused by ovulation, it's almost flat. It's undetectable in the first half of the month, up to days maybe uh, 13 or 14, at which point it begins to rise. What this is doing is this this combination of estrogen and progesterone working together is basically priming the lining of the uterus to receive a fertilized egg. And 
so in the event that uh, pregnancy does not happen, um, the, the, the progesterone is no longer released by something called the corpus luteum. And that, that signals to the um, lining of the uterus to shed this lining and to start again. And that's what a period is. It's a shedding of the lining. And that's what, that's what the period is. It's a shedding of the lining. And, and I was thinking about this discussion we were going to have today. I kind of asked myself, well, why does a woman not stay in a constant state of just being able to be pregnant all 28 days out of the month? Why does, someone, why does a woman need to have a menstrual cycle? And I think the answer to that lies in the characteristic of what estrogen is doing. So estrogen is what is known as a trophic hormone. Trophic is a scientific word that means it causes tissues to grow. Well, we know that when there is too much estrogen around in the female body, that we can potentially see some problems that are associated with too much unregulated cellular growth. And in an extreme case, that would be, say, a, bre a breast cancer or a cancer of the lining of the, of the uterus, uh, uterine cancer. So I think that nature or biology, whatever it is that's kind of decided how our body works, has decided that a woman's lining of the uterus needs to be exposed to estrogen over the course of the month. But it can't be exposed to estrogen eternally every day for maybe, say, the, the 35 years of a woman's reproductive life. So it needs to shed itself. So in a normal, healthy reproductive cycle, the first thing that I see is that it's predictable. So I find that, and we can talk about this later in this discussion, there's a number of different tests that can be done over the, over the course of the cycle. Uh, as you'll see, the timing of these tests is important. So if your gynecologist is just recommending that, oh, we'll just send you to the lab and just get some blood work and let's sort of see what your numbers are. If they're not asking the critical questions of where are you on a cycle, stop them. Don't waste your time and money and just go over willy nilly any day of the cycle. Because remember, if we go back to that mental picture we made of estrogen and progesterone, there's a, there's a, there's a high estrogen to progesterone relationship in the first half of the cycle. Remember, the progesterone is almost immeasurable. Then what happens is over the remainder of the cycle, these begin to modulate relative to one another as the levels of progesterone rise. So if you draw your blood work for your doctor at day three of your cycle, it's going to be vastly different from day 16, 18, or 20. Beautiful. And you know, very few people I know uh, consider that as a, a very important part of this evaluation of a client patient person. And even if you're doing things on your own, like, you know, through the Holistic Navigator, you can go to products and go to direct labs. You can order all of this blood work uh, on the website. And that, that doesn't mean you have the ability to completely interpret it, but you have, if you can become skilled in any area, including this, and, and you are informing people, well, let's take this scenario then, uh, you know, the cycles are regular. Uh, if you had tested the woman, you know, she's got the adequate level of estrogen, she got the uh, adequate elevation of progesterone at the right time. Uh, obviously that, at least from the hormonal subject part is balanced pretty well, probably. And the woman is having the normal amounts of, again, libido and, and concentration and blank, blank, blank that comes with a good, healthy, balanced hormone. What is happening to this huge chunk of women, though, as a certain point of their life when they are complaining and feeling these, these very disruptive symptoms and again, hot flashes is, is one, but it's only one of many. What, what is going on? Is there too much of something, too little of something or what? Uh, that's a very good question. So as I was preparing for this talk, I figured that I would like to divide the, a woman's reproductive life into basically three different components. One is sort of the newly pubertal um, age group where there can be some irregularity in the, in the cycles. And that's normal. 
the you're there a woman's hypothalamus and pituitary are kind of learning the ropes you know the uterine lining is kind of getting a sense of what it needs to do uh the ovaries are are learning how to ovulate on a regular basis that's pretty normal what happens is is that the most fertile years for a woman are probably between about the ages of 17 and 30 maybe 35 we start to see some step off in a woman's fertility now in terms of testing and knowing where you are in terms of your overall health it's actually pretty easy. And in my clinical practice, I actually really just assess women's um, hormonal levels for starters, just by some simple clinical questions. So if you are in those sort of primed reproductive ages, maybe we'll say 16 to 35, and you've got predictable cycles on a monthly basis, and you know that your cycles are going to come, I would ask my patients, if you were on a desert island, no cell phones, no apps, no calendars, would you know that your period is going to come? And if the woman goes, you know, doc, I do, I get kind of poochy. I crave Reese's peanut butter cups. Not that I, you know, support those. <laughs> I, uh, um, I get breast tenderness. I get moody. That's telling me that she's having likely an appropriate rise of progesterone in the second half of her cycle. So if a woman comes in and says, I have regular cycles. They're predictable. My flow is predictable. I get breast tenderness. I get poochy. I get moody. I probably won't even measure labs on her. Because more than likely, she's telling me that she's ovulatory from from these symptoms. But that's not the people we're talking about right now. And what we tend to see is we tend to see that um, typically as a woman's ovulatory cycling becomes less competent, as there are more environmental stressors on this, this really this female animal, that she's not ovulating as well. So there are a lot of different factors that start start to come into play. And this is where it starts getting complex. And this is what we need to start thinking about how the environment comes into play. So when I say environment, I, well, I put this back to you, Ed. What, when, like, when you think of the environment, what, what does that mean to you? I mean, well, you know, and I know you and I both have, have lived a life of, of, of connecting to more of the natural philosophies. And if you really think about it, and I've said this before, compare where we are today to 100 years ago, and it's truly like living on a different planet. I mean, the things that truly are disrupting so much of our health is called endocrine disruptors, and they come from our environment. They come from, you know, the plastic bottles, the excessive soy that's not grown right, the uh, milk that has growth hormone in it, and the fact that we are a nation who's eating processed food continuously. And, you know, in my opinion, and I certainly want yours too, it's feeding into so much of these imbalances. And of course, again, on segment two of this, we're going to have more specific tips and options for the females to help come up with a game plan to help balance this. But, uh, you know, the thing is, we're in a nation that, have, that wants to have magic pills. They want to have the uh, someone wave a wand and everything go back to good again. But we have such a disconnect from the natural world, including the sun, including the earth, where we need to be grounding ourselves with bare feet, including uh, all the way down to, you know, the, of course, the EMFs, all of this together or singularly, none of these create major problems. But when you add them all on top of another and the cup runs over, I mean, hormones are one of the biggest things that is being disrupted. And I speak the word man boobies all the time because, I mean, I've never seen anything like I did last week at the beach. I went down and, you know, a whole percentage of the guys need bras. And it wasn't like that when I was growing up. And I know it probably wasn't for you. And we're not going to talk about guys here. But that same thing that disrupts men is from the environment is disrupting women. And so we have to get back to more of a natural uh, lifestyle of eating 
unprocessed foods and taking the right supplements, which we'll talk about in the next segment. Uh, so there I go on a rabbit trail. But <laughs> what, <laughs> what's your comment on that? Well, my comment on, on that is I think you're entirely right. And what we need to do is we need to look at the first of all, what the different environmental pressures are on the on the body. And then by identifying those pressures, then we can start to modify things. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what's putting pressure on the system, you can't change things. So in terms of hormonal functioning, and these are the things that I see in my clinical practice as being strongly strong contributors to uh, a woman who starts to have some dysfunctional cycling, heavier cycles, uh, more infrequent cycles, maybe some excessive hair growth on the body, this condition known as polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, what I like to do is I like to explore with that patient the variety of dis- different stressors that could be contributing to this. So you mentioned the um, endocrine disruptors. These are xenoestrogens. And what they are is these are a number of molecules that are found that are really ubiquitous in our society. I mean, in foods, in plastics, in pesticides that actually have endocrine or hormonal-like workings on the body. But I also like to think of a number of other, even more uh, prevalent exposures that we have on our day-to-day lives. And the first is stress, and the second is calories. So when I'm thinking about some of the two strongest factors that are influencing a dysfunctional menstrual cycle, meaning a subadequate rise of progesterone in the second half of the cycle, or in some women, the progesterone doesn't even rise at all. Um, the first thing that I'm going to address is what, where is their stress? For example, it's been well studied that women who are under a, a good amount of stress, whether a, um, like, um, maybe a political prisoner or even a woman who is choosing to run seven to eight miles a day, those changes in cortisol start to affect all the different, uh, hormonal interrelationships in our body, uh, to include thyroid, to include the pituitary functioning. And that in and of itself can start to influence a a woman's menstrual cycling. So the first thing that I like thinking about, and I know that in, in the people who you are educating in your store, I mean, what percentage of those people do you think you're talking to about stress? What, 80%, Mm 80%, 70%. So the other real significant stressor that we see on the human body comes down to our fat cells. And it's amazing when we see how much of the research these days is looking towards fat cell deposition, the inflammatory cytokines, the inflammatory molecules that are made by fat cells. And the other thing that happens is fat cells also are little estrogen producing factories. So I can't talk about fat cells without talking about insulin. And Ed, I bet you, you've done, you could probably do a dozen of these podcasts just talking about insulin and this, this uh, dysfunctional relationship that we have uh, in our society. Well, and you know, every time that we've talked, we've talked and said the word insulin in fact, you were on a, a radio show just last week, and again, it came back up, and it's on my podcast probably every other time. And I will bet you money right now, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, out of 100 women that I talk to who actually go to their conventional physicians, I would say that maybe maybe 5% of those are getting insulin checked. In fact, when I give advice and I say, you know, I believe insulin is the one of the most important blood tests you can ever get done. And they go to their doctor. The doctor is saying, who in the world advised you for that? Because that's ridiculous. You're not a diabetic. You don't need your insulin check. Well, it shows that they're living still in a small box. And you are a person who is definitely not living in that small box because it has to do with inflammation, weight gain, uh, chronic diseases down the road. In fact, I read a long ago, and I've really seen this to come to fruition, is 
when they looked at people who were 90 plus years old, who who were very stable, resilient, uh, able to take care of themselves and were really acting like a 50 to 60 year old, they really couldn't find any common denominators on blood work until they looked at insulin. When insulin is at about 12 or above long term, you probably will not make it to really old age and be stable and strong. When it is under two, which is ideal, which is difficult when you get past 60, but at least if you're in single digits, you're going to fare so much better. And no one listening to this who's getting a physical ever gets insulin checked. And we, I talk about it on a couple of my previous podcasts, one of which was weight loss and blood chemistry. If you go back and listen to that, I tell you exactly the blood test you have to demand, or you just go to our site under products and order the damn things because you don't have to put up with this um, inefficient healthcare system or sick care system, as I call it. You have command of this now. We didn't have this 10 to 20 years ago. There was no way you could have ordered your own blood work 15 years ago. And you could not have walked in and asked your physician because he would have scoffed at you because what their comment back then was, where did you get your medical degree? Well, let, and, me do, let me do this. I'm going to interject right here because yeah. I want to offer a really good clinical pearl along these lines. Yeah. And that is that, well, very, very few of you listening have ever had your insulin checked. There are probably a number of you, particularly if you got a few extra pounds on you, who've had the hemoglobin A1C checked. Uh, what this is, it's a um, it's a measure that basically averages out glucose over the previous hundred days. So I can just see the patient you're talking about, Ed, who goes into the doctor and says, "Check my insulin." What does the doctor check? Hemoglobin A1C. So let's just say that hemoglobin A1C comes back in a normal range. They say that between maybe 5.7 and 6.4 is pre-diabetic. This is another one where you want your hemoglobin A1C as low as possible. But here's what's interesting is the hemoglobin A1C reflects your average blood sugar over the, the previous 100 days. It doesn't tell what your insulin is doing. And I have had patients come into my office uh, on dozens of occasions who, from every clinical standpoint, look like they're diabetic. But they come in proudly saying, my doctor checked my hemoglobin A1C and it came back at 5.2. So I'm not diabetic. I've got something else going on. Well, what I do is I do two insulin checks. And again, you can do this in the privacy of your own home. You can do this and assess these numbers. And again, through some of the, the resources that Ed has available for you. The first is checking a fasting insulin. The next thing to do is to challenge your insulin. And what I have patients do is eat a crappy bagel with two tablespoons of jelly. Again, this is a glucola test. So it's a crappy, go to the frozen section of your store, get a crappy bagel, mm -hmm. toast it, put two tablespoons of jelly on it, eat that, and two hours later, check your insulin again. What I find is that some of these people who have the hemoglobin A1Cs, which are normal, they've got insulins that are absolutely out the roof. And out the roof is maybe more than 25 or 30. So if you do this test on yourself and you come back with an insulin of 60 or 80 or God forbid 150, you are well along your way towards becoming diabetic. And the reason that's important is because I can guarantee that of the women that come to see me in my practice, the vast majority who have menstrual abnormalities, and again, this, this risk factor conferred by, conferred by insulin does extend into the menopausal years as well. I would say the vast majority of women who are struggling with their menstrual cycles are overweight. And in being overweight, they are inflamed and they have dysfunctional insulin. Bingo. And that's a wonderful uh, at-home education test. And I will say that, of course, as you uh, have alerted to her also, is, is even more so than just being diabetic, we're going to create the, the risk for every single chronic disease there is, including Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, 
uh, heart disease, plaque in your artery, everything will come associated with high levels of insulin. I'm going to end this right now because we're going to you know, have a second segment talking about here's more of the options that really come down to the put on the table for you to consider. And I want to say I'm sitting here looking at Dr. Resnick. He's uh, how old are you now? Uh, 57. 57. Uh, I will only guess his body fat is extremely low without saying numbers. He's fit as a fiddle. Uh, he weighs exactly what a, a, a human should weigh. That's six foot tall and fit and everything else. And please forgive me for this, but you know, I go into a health professional or someone comes to me and they're 60 pounds overweight and they have pale color in their skin and they're not fragile. They're agile. They're 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 not agile. They're stiff. I don't care what they have to say. I don't care how many freaking degrees they have on the wall. If you can't practice it yourself, I don't want to hear it. Dr. Resnick is the living example of this. And uh, so I'm going to end this podcast a little bit. So I want to say, as I always do, remember, if a doctor cannot do you good, he must be kept from doing harm. And that was Hippocrates very long ago. So tune in for the second podcast with Dr. Resnick and myself for all of the options that you want to hear. Thank you so much. And please, uh, you know, remember to subscribe to the Holistic Navigator and share it and rate it because that is how we continue to grow. Thank you, everyone. The information on this podcast and the topics discussed have not been evaluated by the FDA or anyone of the medical profession and is not aimed to replace any advice you may receive from your medical practitioner. The Holistic Navigator assumes no responsibility or liability whatsoever on the behalf of any purchaser or reader of these materials. The Holistic Navigator is not a doctor, nor does he claim to be. Please consult your physician before beginning any health regimen.